You're listening to Let There Be Light, a podcast where we shed light on topics in the church today through discussions on history, science, theology, as well as our love for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marlene. And I'm Sarah. And this is Let Let There Be Light. We trailed off on that very interestingly. Yeah, no, we did. We'll just add the thunderclap in there. Like I said, welcome, everybody. Um, Thank you for those who did not immediately turn this off when they heard my very enthusiastic greeting. They hear hi, and they're just like, They just hear, hi, everybody. Hey, kids. Welcome back to the neighborhood. Like, no, no, no. The neighborhood. The neighborhood. No, 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 no. Well, we have a very exciting episode for all y'all today. All y'all. Using those gender neutral pronouns as gifted to us by the South. Trademark. So. <laughs> Trademark. 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 Um, we are raring to go. We are full of Chipotle and tea. Chipotle and tea. Uh-huh. This is a continuation episode from uh-huh. last week's episode, Ooh. which you might recall if you so listened, if you're following along. Yeah, you should really be listening in order, guys. Okay, two comes after one. It, it kind of does. Most of the time, yeah. Our... We have been focusing on women in the medieval time period in Christianity. So that's like, what, we've been 5th century to 15th so far. We really will be going on a journey, metaphorically speaking. Mm. And we're going to be looking at three more women who are major contributors to Christianity uh, in the medieval ages. And I'm really excited because they are killing it so far. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the long pause was necessary there. No, 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 like... Let's go. Did you have to say that like Lynn Manuel from Alexander Hamilton? I did. Let's go. Let's we'll go. go. Let's you go. have the treasury of the State Department. We're gonna edit all of this. This Excellent. is wonderful. So to start us off, Sarah, where are we going first? Well, our focus today is three more women: Julian of Norwich, Anna Comnena, or Comnina, uh, and Crossfit. I believe. What? It, what's the last one? Crossfit. I thought you said CrossFit. Or Crossfit. Crossfit. Uh, uh, let's this say Crossfit. Not. Uh, yeah, we'll probably do Crossfit. Uh, we'll start with Crossfit because she is okay. the earliest. When? Where is she from? She is in the early, late 900s to early thousands. Woo! That is a time. That's a few millennia. That is a while ago. Mm. And she was a German Christian woman. We haven't spoken about Germany yet, really much. Yeah, there was like a couple of German archaeologists in the former episodes, but that's about it. Right, we talked about Boniface in the last episode. Oh, uh, I call him uh, Boniface, but... Boniface, yes, Boniface. <laughs> uh, but Rossfeet was a German Christian woman who wrote verse history, and notably, the only dramas... The only dramas composed in all of Europe between the 4th and 11th century. Okay, so she wrote them... Wow, okay. Yeah, that was it. She was the only source of plays. Wow, okay. So she wrote six total, Mm -hmm. uh, and she was a Christian. So her goal was to get rid of this pagan... The paganism typical of dramas and written art at the time, because they were filled with references to other gods... And so her idea, kind of like all the way back, back to Proba, who was master in the art of Centro, she wanted to infuse her art 
merge art and Christianity in a way that hadn't really been done before. So almost all of her plays, interestingly enough, are named after men. Oh. But all of them, I believe, minus one or two, are about women. Oh, I love it. That is some false advertising. Yes. And so she she wrote plays all from a Christian woman perspective, which is really cool. And these were the only ones being produced. So people, like, didn't She's really have She's the a only wo- female voice in the... Oh, that is just stunning. Okay. And to add on top of that, uh-huh. Ross Veet, we don't know her actual name. Mm, she oh, only, is that her pen name? That's her pen name. <gasps> and it means loud voice. Oh, dude, you should call me Rossby from now yeah, on. I know, I, right? am, I am an incredibly loud person. I really try to rein it in, guys, but it is just, whew. I mean, during this time as well, especially as women were kind of expected to be silent, oh, but to she- be a woman who was, her voice was not probably, because also to be on stage, you have to have a pretty loud voice. Yeah, you have to be able to project very well, so yes. that way um, the cheap seats can still understand you. So that way she has the layer of theater, the layer of uh, being a woman, mm-hmm. and this layer of her voice just echoing down through this art that lasted through centuries. That is fabulous. Yeah. I just love, like, the, her entire brand. Like, she's over here writing dramas. Okay, we all love a good drama-filled movie. Okay, we love to feel things. We love to pick sides. She wrote six of them. She's over here, a devout Christian, trying to get rid of some of the pagan ism around this is so cool oh and then her freaking name is yes yes 10 out of 10 yeah she's she's awesome i would recommend looking her up later on your own my dear audience yeah yeah yeah. Um, we don't have time for that really it's tough it's some it's tough like with highlighting these women because you want to do like a whole series on just them and like their entire works we really could spend whole episodes digging into these women uh, unfortunately, we can't. Unfortunately. But. But. Rossfeet was pretty cool. Rossfeet sounds like she would be a really cool I'm friend. down to see one of her plays. So, yeah. theater friends, make it happen. Make it happen for us, man. The next woman that I was fascinated by, Has Anna Comnena. I thought it was Comnena. It's probably Comnena. Is she, um, is it Latin? So she is from the Eastern Byzantine Empire. Oh, fascinating. Yes, it it really is because I don't think we've really talked about any women other than Brigid, who is like Irish. Somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but most of ours have been from the uh, strictly European. You know, Mm -hmm. we have French, we've got German. So we kind of got a huge mix this time around, but she was in the 10th 10th and 11th century. Mm -hmm. Uh Or Anna, and she was the daughter of the Byzantine or the Eastern Empire, the Emperor Alexius I. So we got the daughter of an emperor over here. I'm fascinated to see where she fits into church history. So she wrote the most detailed church history, particularly within the Byzantine Empire. Uh, of her time, and she's considered the very first female historian. Full stop. Full stop. That's badass. Even separate from, quote-unquote, religion, which I read in some sources, she's still flat-out considered one of the first female historians. There might have been others before her, but she's really... Their works, Best we can tell. Yeah, their works probably weren't as notable then, or obviously if she's the daughter of an emperor. It, 
that that's astounding. That is absolutely astounding. It is. And she's really interesting because after her father passes away, the mm-hmm. emperor, she enters a monastery. Oh, shit. So, <laughs> and she, uh, from this monastery, does a lot of writing. Okay. Which is very interesting, right? Because this is a time where women lived a life typically of just pure exclusion from society. In the Byzantine Empire, women did not go out much at all. It was an even more an extreme of how women were treated in, you know, back in the early church days. When okay. we were talking about the first century. Jewish women. Women lived a life typically of complete exclusion, and they only involved themselves in family and household matters. You would probably never even leave the house once you were married. That was it. And well, did, was she ever married before she went to the monastery or I convent? I do not know. I wasn't okay. able to find. Um, the fact that she wrote so much, maybe not. Okay. But it's one of those things where, if you know, please come fill in the gaps. Um, I wasn't able to find too much. But by all accounts, she's really unusual. Because to I'd have say. her work even managed to get published only happened probably because she was a princess or the daughter of an emperor. But she, most notably, which is very edgy for her time, criticized the Crusaders for their violence and destruction. I like is, it. Yeah, the Crusades were going on, not full force, but they were definitely in one, because they went through several iterations. The Crusaders, Crusades had been going on for a hot minute. They were not a popular thing even at the time. I don't think they've aged well uh, (laughs) at all. all. But she criticized the Crusaders for their violence and destruction. And she, very unusually also for her time, elevated the accomplishments of women in her works. Anna, or Anna, she really did elevate other women in her works. So many women that we know about, we only know about because she wrote about them. Mm. And it's really rare for us to have her voice talking about history, talking about the church, uh, criticizing her thoughts, her opinions. Uh, She held a lot of sway, and that was really, really, really unusual for the time. The final woman I'd like to talk about is a little bit different from everybody that we've talked about so far. Not that any of these women are really like each other, because they all come from such radically different centuries. Uh, But Julian of Norwick, she's from the 15th century. Okay, so probably the... She's near the end of of medieval times. So she's Mm -hmm. really, we're starting to get much closer to an exciting period of time known as the Reformation. So Julian was an Englishwoman. This is the first Englishwoman I think we've talked about. Yeah, and it's like mildly refreshing. I'm excited. Hello, welcome. Uh, And she was a female mystic. Which the mystics were their own, from what I can tell, their own whole brand of theologian person i think you're a little bit more familiar with their stuff than i am i would probably consider myself a little bit of a mystic uh but we don't need to go into that but i'm picking up what you're putting down man it was a thing that really rose around for the past couple centuries i think Mm -hmm. and so she her books on theology and spirituality were likely some of the very first english books authored by a woman i'm loving this i'm loving this lots of firsts so Julian, let's get into the mystic thing. Julian claimed, she's one of the most famous female mystics we know of. She claimed to have a series of visions and divine revelations from God while she was very sick one day. And from that, she wrote a lot of stuff. And most of which centered around her reconceptualization of God and her interpretation of foundational Christian principles. 
And those in interpretations make her one of the most influential Christian figures ever, actually. So she's most well-known for her book, Revelations of Divine Love. Oh, which I've is, heard of that. They're still well-known to this day, Yeah, it wow, okay. I, I've heard of that. I've never delved into who wrote it. I've never even read it. But no, I've heard of that. So that's fascinating. Yeah, so she's super influential. And basically for those who are like, what does it mean, mystic? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand. Very high-level view. Her writings stressed the, in particular, based off of her revelations that she recorded as receiving, her writings stressed the feminine aspects of Christianity in particular, which was interesting because it was a very male-dominated church at the time, mm -hmm. uh, and had been for a while. And she often emphasized how Christ is both father and mother. Hot take, to uh, be sure. And because men and women are both made in, in the image of God. So this idea of like, okay, so God must have what we conceive of as male and female aspects to him. So she would use both pronouns when referring to God interchangeably throughout all of her writings mm -hmm, that I mm -hmm. can tell. And her emphasis on the feminine really persisted throughout Christian thought until the Reformation, where for a variety of different reasons, and there really are a ton that we will not have the ability to get into. I was going to say, it's, it gets complicated from here on It out. gets really complicated from here out. But for a variety of different reasons, those perspectives were largely dismantled and mystic, kind of the curtain was closed on the mystic time period. Uh, but you, we see elements of mystic theology. Uh, I might be guessing a little bit here because I'm not super familiar with it, but I would guess that certain denominations such as Pentecostal and Charismatic are slightly more influenced by the, that brand and that branch of theology than others um, because they did not follow the reformed teachings of the Reformation, even though they are Protestant. So we can see little bits here and there of where she's coming from. She was a very, she's a, she's a very fascinating person. Yeah, the fact that she was 500 odd years ago being like, God has both aspects of male and female. I'm going to call him both father and mother. It's like, what? Yeah, I had a like a recent discussion with somebody about that, and she did not want to hear that I could and do kind of refer to God in my head as a mother. And she was like demanding that I find somewhere in scripture that backed that up for her. And I wasn't going to play that game because there's so many like centuries of like, Mis like not mistranslation, but just different translations and the patriarchal like form of society in which you know the Bible was written and whatnot and centuries beforehand. But that's just fascinating because I thought that was more recent than anything, like in the last two so hundred years. Yeah, no, it goes all the way back, which I thought, like you said, was really interesting because I didn't know that. Um, and from what I understand of her writings is that. You know, she is the first to really point out that although scripture does use male terms for God based on what he seems to, he wanted in the canon of scripture, she pointed out that men and women are made equally in the image of God, which is very foundational and true. Uh, and though you could disagree, because these are very polarizing topics, you could disagree on her application of it, whether she had visions or not. Ask her in heaven. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love know. that. I love that. We'll just ask her in heaven. You know, I don't know. It's that was a ways away. So we can't, you know, some of these things you can't verify per se. 
but she did have some things correct in terms of understanding that God is a mystery, but also that he created male and female after his image. And there's no, there's no lesser and there's no, you know, better. And that has been a real struggle for theologians over the centuries to see women as not some lesser being that persisted and persists up to this day. So we can at least look back and thank Julian for being bold in how she wrote and also for some of the first English language books. So, oh, love her. Really fascinating stuff. If you want to look more into it, Revelations of Divine Love is her main work of writing, I believe. You may be wondering, that's great, Sarah. We've covered some quite fascinating women. What's next? Was that the end? That's not what I was thinking. What were you thinking? Oh, I I was just thinking that I'm really happy that we're covering all these women. Yeah. I was just thinking that, and I feel like you're about to step on some toes? I'm about to mic drop a little bit. Okay, yeah. I had the weird... She got that uh, glimmer in her (laughs) eyes. I'm sorry, guys. Again, not a visual medium, but... (laughs) It really should be at this point. She got, like, this glimmer in her eyes where she was like, yay! She, like, pulled out a cucumber mint sparkling water (laughs) and, like, cracked open a cold one and said, we're about to get spicy. (laughs) Well, what's so fascinating, right, is we've been through... Absolutely fascinating. fascinating. We've been through the medieval period of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Things are spicy. There's a ton of women during this time. We highlighted six. There were a lot. Yeah. I had to really narrow it down. I hope these were interesting to everybody. Uh, There's really a lot more information to be had. If you just look up women in prominent Christian women in the medieval times, lists. Yeah, like a whole list lists and lists Listy. of them. Which is awesome mm-hmm. because, I mean, I had no idea about a, any single yeah. one of these women, to be honest. Absolutely. I had never heard of any of them until I started researching, but we've reached kind of the end of medieval times, and to set the stage, the Roman Catholic Church is very prominent. It's still the state religion. We have two empires, the East and the West. East is where we get Eastern Orthodoxy out of. West is where we get Roman Catholicism. Good, There's some differences. Research if you like to know more. Mm -hmm. Women have added their contributions. And so everything we've talked talked about up until this point were the cultural norms, attitudes, and theologies existing when the Reformation really roared onto the scene. And the Reformation would drastically redefine Christianity and women's place in it once again. So we'd been kind of sitting... You know, with a few changes here and there, but there was kind of this, you know, steady line for a while. Things are about to change again very drastically. But in this transitionary period, there was this group that I totally stumbled on by accident while reading about these women called the Waldensians. The what? The Waldensians. Okay. And these guys were known as the Protestants before the Reformation. Oh, interesting. How How is that a thing? Stick with me here. Oh, no. Okay. So they're a group that's kind of hard to get to know. They were started by a guy named Waldo. (laughs) No. Where's Waldo? No, no, no. But really, where is Waldo? No, 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 no. I see. No. Okay. But really, where is Waldo? Because his, we don't know much about him. And their beginnings as a group are really not well documented. Sarah, this is really bad. All I'm thinking about is a guy in a striped sweater oh, I know. and glasses. This and is exactly a, what I intend. Like, like this, I just think of like a horde of them, like with glass. Oh, Being man. very mysterious. Mm-hmm. And they are indeed a mysterious oh, group. However, we start hearing about them more and more, mainly because they start showing up in these councils that would be held between major church leaders. And these councils would be like, how do we stop 
the freaking Waldensians. Who, who are these people? They were a group that... No, the people against them. Who Who was against them? Oh, the Catholic Church at large. Oh, well, that's something. Oh, yeah. Okay, I they like were them. not liked by the Catholic Church mm-hmm. for several reasons. Where? Tell One, me. they rejected wealth, which mm. was a problem because the Catholic Church at this time was very wealthy. You remember during the Reformation, there's the collecting of indulgences. They mm. extorted people. The Waldensias rejected wealth and said, you can't have wealth in the churches because this kind of goes against how Jesus lived his life. Just kind of. They wanted more of an ascetic life based on that. They were also much more active in spreading scripture. Today we would call this something like evangelistic. So they did something that was not well done at the time Mm -hmm. or not done really much at all at the time, which is they would go door to door and to town to town talking about Jesus. Oh, wow. So, Do they have bikes that they rode on? Or? <laughs> Sorry. I think they walked. <laughs> Sorry, it was a little bad name, little joke. Name tags. Stupid. And oh. also, perhaps most radically, they oh. believe that regular people should read and interpret the scriptures for themselves <gasps> rather than relying on the priests who only read scripture in Latin typically. So the average person who didn't understand Latin didn't know what they were saying or couldn't read by the Bible for themselves. So they were an incredible proponent to translating the word into copyists' rights and whatnot. Luther would later really push this ahead, but but they were the ones who kind of had this beforehand. Right, because didn't Martin Luther have the German translation of the Bible or something first? He translated it. He was the one who was able to sit down and translate it into the common language. It doesn't look like they got around to doing that, but they were proponents of saying, hey, we should do that. Mm. But they never got around to it from what I can tell. Okay. So why weren't they considered... They're, why were they in an oddball group and not just part of the reformers? Right. Exactly. Uh, it sounds like the reformers. Oh, dear. Reformers rejected them as well. Are you going to make me ask why? Or are you going to tell me? Tell me. Well, primarily because the Waldensians had this extremely annoying habit of letting women preach and oh, read no. and evangelize alongside there men. There it is. As equals. There it is. Every, oh, dear. And you might say, Sarah, that's like, you're just pointing, like, you're just pick, cherry picking. Nope. Every source I read, every single one said, this is the main reason why the reformers didn't like them. Was that reason. How dare they give women a platform yeah. and a hope? Because, you know, who did that in the Bible? You know? Who 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 elevated oh. women? Who 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 When I first read about this them. group, I was pretty furious. I was like, what? So the Waldensians. Is Waldensians. Hmm. Next time I go to a Reformation party, by the way. What the fuck is a Reformation so party? So a lot of like Wait, reformed churches what? will do this to celebrate Reformation Day, the day that like Luther <laughs> <laughs> the day that Luther nailed his ninety five theses to the door, which But basically I grew up at a church, and I attend a church now, that will throw celebrations for Reformation Day in the true Protestant Reformed tradition, which is very fun, but I'd like to go as a Waldensian next time. I'm going to dress up as a Waldensian, I think. Can I ask what happens at the Reformed church I don't. Everybody does not different. Uh, The one I grew up at, we would just eat a lot of food and talk about the Reformation. (laughs) Like, that was it. I mean, we ate hot dogs. Really, when you ew, and we gross. and potato salad, and we talk about the Reformation in a park. <coughs> but yeah, the Waldensians were a thing, and I kind of love them a lot. They're also pacifists, and oh, so they're like, oh, what's it called? Mennonite. Mennonite. Well, I believe the Mennonite Anabaptist traditions did pull a lot from the Waldensians. 
You so, believe that? Believe it. I do believe. I do believe indeed. I do believe. I do declare. I do declare. I do as declare. In, I want people to be clear. I did not just make that fact up. She I, did. She did. <laughs> yes. She looked me in the eye and she said, I believe that's true. No. We have an authority on the Mennonite church. We could just call him up right now. <laughs> that's true. See if he's listening. <laughs> It'd be great. We have a friend for context who is... Far, far away. Far away, but I believe a preacher or at least was... He's coming to visit next month. Teaching... He is. Teaching in a... <laughs> Her eyes got so big like, oh dear, no. In a, in a Mennonite church, so... Yeah. Take that as you will. Take that as as you will. He's probably listening. Like, can you just say my name? We will not. <laughs> we will not. We will not. We honor privacy. We honor here. privacy here. Uh, the Waldensians. You may be wondering what happened to them. Yeah, what happened to them? I'm wondering about that, and I'm also trying to eradicate from my brain the idea of a reform party. A party? Oh, I know. This is uh, some no. information that I think really I just shakes some people. Really up. don't like that. But idea. I also have like a big reformed audience, and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're going to hear <laughs> that and be like. I, I, Simon, I really gotta tell you, I love listening to Sarah's podcast, but like her co host. No, none of them like, are saying that. None of them are saying that. <laughs> Not a single individual. I love you all, but I know you guys mm, think that this is a little too spicy. A little too and spicy. And I get it. I appreciate it that you don't corner me on this every Sunday, but you could. Anyways, moving on. The Waldensians. They kind of faded out. They were persecuted by the church, the Roman church, Catholic church. They were also persecuted by the reformers. So. They had everybody against them. I think if I saw my research correctly, there's a small subgroup of Waldensians today. But I don't know much of what they believe currently or what that looks like. So this really isn't meant to be an exhaustive look at them. It's just more to look back at who they were. So if you want to find out who they are today, we will have resources queued up for you. And so, thank you for sticking with us through this journey. Through thick and thin. Through, through thick and thin. Through the cussing and the weird traditions that I've just now become aware of that I will not let it's go of. It's been a truly emotional journey this this time around. And it's about to get even spicier because... I just, like, I just feel like we just keep trying to one-up ourselves. Oh, I know. Oh, well, man. The more we learn... You know. The more you know. The more you know. The more you know. But keeping all of this in mind, all of the stuff we've talked about over the past few episodes, we are going to move next episode to a little village square mm. where a monk has just nailed 95 complaints to a church door. And, and there, there was, was light. light.